Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are doing things a bit differently. We are choosing to prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and therefore generate the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if you are here either as a first-time listener or a seasoned listener, I have something to tell you. I love you. I appreciate you, and from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you for taking the time out of your busy day to expand and grow and learn about impact from the incredible humans that I feature on the show. So every single week, I'm interviewing a a beautiful human that is doing some massive things in the world, making a beautiful dent, beautiful impact in the world, and support you in doing the same. And I do my best to curate what I call real humans, and it's an acronym I came up with that stands for Respectful enthusiastic, appreciative, and loving. And I invest a ton of research to pull out stuff from guests that you'll never hear them share in other places. And today, you and I get to hang out with uh, somebody really epic. His name is Matt Bordreau. And Matt is a fast new friend of mine, and I'm just so grateful to introduce you to him today. So there's so much that we dive into today's episode, but I want you to look out for three specific things as always. Number one, how Matt met his wife at Abercrombie & Fitch shortly after turning down a position to work in the Secret Service at the White House. Number two, what Braveheart has to do with Matt founding three schools that are literally shaping the future of education and helping young leaders to find their calling that changes the world. And number three, Matt's approach to education both in his schools and with his family. We dive into some things like the Bordreau 11 family rules, how his daughters started a business to buy horses and they were really young when they did that. Like under 10 years old or 10-ish years old. Crazy. Number three, how Matt's schools organize students based on what they call studios and how they create an environment based on self-awareness, critical thinking, and entrepreneurship. They also do these crazy things with, with their students called the Paperclip Challenge. You'll, you, you get it with my excitement here. They do some incredibly cool stuff with education in the schools and family. So all that to look forward to. And you're probably wondering who the heck is Matt Bordreau? Well, Matt is the founder of Acton Academy Placer and Acton Academy Sacramento. As a career educator, Matt has delivered TEDx talks, consulted with universities, written books, and created programs that have helped to push education into the 21st century for teens across America. He currently hosts the Essential 11 podcast, which focuses on gaining world-class advice from prominent guests in business, media, sports, education, and entertainment. Bordreau is also a world-renowned keynote speaker, speaking to over 250,000 people across the globe, with clients ranging from Lockheed Martin and the United States Air Force to Caterpillar and Honeywell. In his younger years, Matt was a competitive kickboxer underneath Dennis Alexio and competed in multiple amateur MMA fights under the coaching of Frank Shamrock, Ken Shamrock, and Jason Pites. I am beyond excited for you to listen to this epic interview with Matt. And one quick thing I want to say before I introduce you to him is if you are listening to this and you haven't listened to episode 100 on the show, I took some time to share the vision for where this is heading, how I'm going to make things even better, even more incredible for you. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 100 and it might give you a slightly different perspective on what we're talking about today, I would highly encourage you to do that. But anyways, going back to Matt, 
Matt is a cool dude. I love him to death. He's doing some incredible things in the world, and it is so refreshing to hear his perspective on how we can make a positive change in the lives of the young people that are absolutely going to make a ridiculously positive impact in this world. So super excited for you to listen to this incredible interview with my friend, Matt Bordreau. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Mr. Matt Bordreau, so excited to have you here. Welcome to the show, my friend. Man, the honor is absolutely mine. I've been looking forward to this. I get to do, you know, I get the honor of doing a, a, a good amount of these every week, but some you just look forward to more than others. And this is definitely one I've been looking forward to, man. So thank you. Awesome. And I know I sent you an email yesterday that we were going to dive into <laughs> some, <laughs> some Leroy, Master Leroy. So nope, awesome. some people are going <laughs> to... So people are going to have no idea what the heck that means unless you, unless you happen to have watched uh, the, the, the last, what is it? The last dragon, the last, I don't know if I dragon. The last dragon. Okay. Yeah. It's been, it's been a minute since I watched that, but like, before we get to there, I, I oh, want to start with, I want to start with your LinkedIn bio. Normally I don't like start with starting with bios, but, but here yeah. I'm just going to give some people some, some context. It says founder of Acton Academy place for schools, founder of Apogee Strong, host of the Essential 11, author of collaborative homeschooling, international keynote speaker, man with a sexy beard. Just kidding. I added that one. Uh, and, and <laughs> fun fact about me, I, I cannot grow fo- uh, facial hair. And if I, if I didn't shave, I'd end up with like a decrepit Fu Manchu with a soul patch kind of a thing. So, but the, the, the last line that I wanted to zoom in on, on your bio is, and yes, I met my wife at Abercrombie and Fitch. So I want to hear this story. Were you the floor model because of the sexy beard? Was she the floor model <laughs> shopping there, locked eyes and the rest oh. is history. I want I want to know the tale. <laughs> That's so funny, man. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, I had turned down, I had turned down a job at the White House, believe it or not, coming out of college. And so I came out of college and literally I had nothing like I'm going, all right, well, I've got the, you know, the part-time jobs that I'm working now. So I have no idea what I'm going to do, you know, what I'm going to do. So it was like two days or three days after graduation. I mean, it was not long after and I was walking through the mall and it was the old school Abercrombie technique of, you know, somebody walking out and they're just like, Hey, do you want to work here? You know? And I'm going, um, maybe, I, I don't know. I need a job. And they're like, have you graduated college? I'm like, yeah, I just graduated. And they're like, you could be a manager. And I'm like, sold. I need a full-time job. Like, let's roll. I don't know anything about retail. I don't know anything about this, but let's go. So I ended up working for that organization for a couple of years. So it was my first, it was actually my very first day at a new store. I'd worked at a few other stores. Um, and it was my, I'd gone from the Sacramento area of California into the Bay area. And um, so I was told to get there at a certain time for this Bay area. And I was going to, you know, I was an assistant manager and was going to meet the new manager. And um, the person that came and opened the door who was opening the store was this beautiful young, you know, spark plug of a, of a young girl. I mean, she was just, she was gorgeous, but she was super kind. She was very different than the majority of the people that I worked with. And, and not, I worked with some phenomenal people, but this girl just had a really solid head on her shoulders. Uh, we became very fast friends. So she was literally the first person I met there. Um, and we became friends and, and we worked together for like a year 
Um, and I would be like, hey, you know, my relationship's not really working out over here. And this is kind of what I'm struggling. She's like, yeah, my relationship's not really working out either. I'm kind of struggling in this. And we became friends uh, far before we ever started dating. So super cool. And actually, can I, I'm sorry, can I tell you the, the next part of the story? Okay. So, so we had worked together for a while. She had stopped working there. We hadn't seen each other in a while. And I was with a group of buddies we had flown out. I was fighting at the time and competing. So we had flown out to a UFC event in Las Vegas and we were walking through MGM grand. And one of my friends mentioned my, my, you know, now wife's name, right? He had seen her recently somewhere because a lot of us had worked together at, at Abercrombie and uh, he had seen her and he mentioned her name. And I went, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen that girl in so long. Do you have her phone number? And he goes, yeah, I do. And I said, okay, give it to me real quick. So I'm in MGM Grand and the first text message I ever send her, I said, hi, will you marry me? And she responds, I absolutely will. Who is this? <laughs> and I was like, yes, we have got to see each other when I get back. And the rest is history, man. That is so, so beautiful. I'm so glad that I asked that. And you just laid, yeah. you planted so many seeds there that, and, and we talked a little <laughs> bit before we have, we have some buffer time. So I'm going to allow myself to explore a little bit. You dropped two things. One that you were fighter, uh, which I want to talk about maybe, but before that, you, you also talked about turning down a job at the white house. And this is something that I thought was uh, really cool. So secret service was involved. Give us the backstory on that. What was kind of running through your head when you went down that trajectory and then why you decided to turn it down. Yeah. So like anybody that's close to, you know, I'm 42 at the time this recording. Right. And so like anybody that is, um, you know, my age, close to my age, it's one of those, you know, one of the pivotal events in our life was September 11th, 2000, uh, 2001. Right. And so it's, it's one of those things. It's kind of like my parents with the, the JFK assassination, everybody knows where they were when they heard it. Right. And so it was very much the same thing for us. And so I remember very clearly what was going on. Um, and I was in my senior year of college, you know, and, and um, I'd been playing the school game and, and, um, I had always done the game well, meaning I got good grades and I knew how to play school, but I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do or what I had to offer the world. I had zero idea. I was just flying by the seat of my pants and I was in my senior year. This happened and it made me start exploring going, okay, well, maybe I want to do something along these lines where I can, you know, be part of a solution, be part of a defense. I didn't even really know what that meant. So I started looking like, do I, do I join the military as an officer afterwards? Do I like, what do I do? And I had a family friend who uh, was in the secret service, loose family friend was in the secret service. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds pretty rad. And it kind of puts me at the forefront of this. So I started down that process. And so my entire senior year, I was going through the whole background process, going doing the interviews, you know, went and did obviously the physical uh, assessments, went and did the mental assessment, went and did, um, you know, all of those, all of those things. And um was offered the job at the White House to be part of the uniform division of the Secret Service. And I was offered that job a couple months before graduation. The only caveat was I had to finish and graduate. You had to have had to have that degree. So um, so I was just in that last couple months, man, and actually talked to that family friend and was just like, man, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm right here. I got two months left. I just got to graduate. I've gone through everything and I'm ready to go, man. And I'll be out in D.C. And he's like, all right. Well, let's get together and let's talk. And um, so he kind of laid out, you know, we had about a three hour conversation and he laid out some things for me to think about. And, um, you know, I'm not knocking that position at all or that organization. He laid out some things where he felt like he had had to sacrifice his integrity in a number of ways. And he said, look, I, I I don't think it's everything that you think it is. I think there will be some sacrifices that you would have to make integrity wise. 
Um, and, and I want you to really think about that. And so he kind of dove into a little bit of how that looked on his day-to-day decision-making and what that really did to him as a, as a leader and as a father and, and how he didn't really appreciate the dishonesty that he had to live in sometimes. Um, and so I pulled the plug um, and then had no job. But you ended up at Abercrombie, so like all those <laughs> things late, and you met your wife. So, so that there's there's a one word that you said, or two words that you said there. You said sacrifice, integrity, and from our our quickly developing friendship and the time that we spent together, that's one of the things I've admired so much about you is how much you value integrity. So I can only imagine hearing that from someone that you you know you would kind of encourage you in the process that you were like, oh my god, this is a this is a no go, and you weren't willing to sacrifice those values. So I'm not sure if this will segue into this, but I, I have a guess. Tell me about Braveheart. Why is Braveheart important to you? Gosh, man. So yeah, great question. Uh, I, and I knew you, I know you, and I know you well enough, and I know how smart you are, and I know how amazing you are at what you do. Um, so I shouldn't be surprised that you dove deep and, and pulled that movie out. I shouldn't be surprised by that at all. I'm not. Um, so I remember I was 14 when that came out um, and I remember going and seeing that in the theater uh, and it was actually the first movie that I went and saw with a girl. Um, and so I, went, uh, I remember sitting there watching that and just, I didn't fully understand why, but I was emotionally wrapped up in the story of this man who was willing to give everything for something greater than himself. And I hadn't necessarily had that example in my life at that point, you know, really um, with any of the men that, that were, you know, leading me in any way, I, I didn't have that example. And so seeing that, and I know it was obviously a fictional film based on a real person, but, um, you know, when he spoke the lines of, you know, every man dies, not every man really lives, there was something visceral, even at 14, where I went, okay, I, I can't waste this time that I have. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but um, I don't want to waste that. And, and of course I had to go through some of the same being it, you know, I wasn't, I made a lot of mistakes, especially as a teenager. I did a lot of dumb things. I also had that aggression in me. I had bad examples, bad role models that I found myself habitually following instead. Um, so I, I, it took me a long time to work through all of that, but that is something that I've continuously gone back to. Um, and now, you know, in my forties and, and I've done this now for a while is I embrace that so wholeheartedly. And I, I am committed to living a life that, um, is truly a life that I can look back on and go, man, that is an amazing ride. It is far from an existence. It's like Thoreau says, um, you know, in Thoreau, uh, most men leaves, lead lives of quiet desperation. Like I refuse, I absolutely refuse. And I really credit that was really kind of being the first time that I kind of clicked to it and, and realized that was going to be something that was a part of my life. So cool. And I think there's some gold there for everyone. I, the, the quote that comes up almost every episode, maybe it's because I force it, or maybe it's just because I see it everywhere, but, but it's by yeah. Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And I think it's actually really interesting to see inner exploration from those early seeds of genius in your younger years. So like there was something in 14 year old Matt's brain that was like, there's something here. And sometimes those external sources, those things that resonate with you on a deep level are worth exploring. So for you listening, like maybe that's a fun thing for you to listen in on is like, what were those, what was your favorite childhood movie? Like what were those things that really stirred something in you? Because there may be some seeds to explore there. Have you found that to be true in yourself and your kids you work with? Oh my gosh, it's exactly true. And it's part of one of the projects, you know, that we, we work on in Apogee program intentionally 
because of that, right? Because what, my gosh, like I realized it then, but I didn't really start exploring that until probably a decade later, right? And so, and, and I agree with what you said, like the reason I think it resonated with me, there was something inside me that wanted that, right? And sometimes you look up at specific role models and that you have, and you're not even necessarily sure why you connect, but if we can identify what it is about that person that we connect with, that is usually letting us know that we're either deeply rooted in that, in that thought and that desire, or that we see that maybe in ourselves and we see a future possibility of ourselves, right? And I think if we can identify that for young people and help them shift into that frame earlier and quicker and without as much struggle and with more intentionality, um, you know, it's going to allow us to unleash leaders on this world at a higher level much, much earlier than, you know, I had to go through and, and kind of really figure it out with a bunch of other garbage that was up there too. So that's yeah, so, cool. so powerful. Okay, so in my mind, I'm going to try to combine three separate things here into, into a transition. So basically, you know, we talked about Braveheart and the, the impact that it had on you. When, I, when we opened, I, I jokingly said, Leroy, who's the master? Yeah. Because uh, I, I met Matt, fun fact about me. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the podcast. Any guess as to the fact that I've watched that movie, any guess as to where my dad got the name Brandon for me? Is I mean, it's not Brand. Is it Brandon Lee? Brandon Lee, legit. Like, no I, I, no, yeah, legit. I, my, my dad is a huge Bruce Lee fan. I grew up doing Taekwondo. Like, hey. like, so like, I, 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 that was one thing I was like, as soon as I saw that in the research, I was like, oh my oh, God, hey. like we have, we have to go down this rabbit hole. Cause that was such a foundation for me is having Taekwondo. Cause like we had children home rules and it wasn't like, I wouldn't say it was the best martial arts, you know, you know, we learned stuff about martial arts, but it was a very soft. It was like, you weren't really like making contact or anything, but the found, they did such an incredible job. JK yes. Lee, I, I talked to, I actually spoke to their school a few weeks ago, but like those values that they instilled. So uh, anyways, you and I had that, that similarity of, of, you know, I always love playing street fighter. I always love playing Tekken and like, you know, all the, all the, all that stuff. So when you, when I found out that you were a fan of the last dragon, but that was one of the things my dad used to say when we used to like play Taekwondo together, it was like, who's the mess? Yes, <laughs> dude. So he funny. did the show now. Yes. Oh my gosh, dude. Okay. So this is phenomenal. So yeah, that, I mean, it's, I, I got excited just like two days ago. Cause I saw that that it's back on like Amazon prime or was on HBO max or something. I'm like, Oh, we got to watch it again. And my kids are like, dad, we've seen that movie a million times already, you know, and this is from the 80s. Right? <laughs> I mean, so, and I've grown up on this and that's so cool. I didn't know you were named after Brandon Lee. And, um, you know, so Taekwondo was a big part of my growing up before I got into kickboxing as well was Taekwondo. Right. So I got my black belt at Taekwondo as a, as a young man. And so that was a huge part. Martial arts was obviously a huge part of growing up. And it's funny. So you're talking about Brandon Lee and that connection. So my birthday is November 26th. Bruce Lee was November 27th, right? And so I was always, as a kid, I was like, oh man, I was so close to, to having the same birthday as Bruce, man. I got Tina Turner instead, not quite as cool, but um, like, like Bruce Lee, that would have been so rad. And then I had my son on February 1st, which is Brandon Lee's birthday. And now does he's oh, wow. Brandon Lee. So yeah, I was like, oh, it could have been so cool. But yeah, so um, that's just kind of a fun roundabout. But yeah, man, that's a, uh, so rad. A, a while back and I didn't act on it, but I get these, I don't know where I went down this rabbit hole, but Shannon Lee, his daughter is still alive uh -huh. and she teaches, yeah. she wrote, uh, uh, be like water, my friend, I think, or like water. I don't remember the actual title of the book, uh -huh. obviously a famous Bruce Lee quote, but I was thinking about reaching out to her to get her on the show. But anyways, long, long, 
long divergent path, but, but the, the reason why I wanted to go here is not only to, because it's, it's fun, but second of all, because uh, in your TED talk, you talk about something that is related to working with your son. And I think that if, if you share uh, what his inclination was for the martial arts, this might kind of open the door to the education conversation as well. The education part. Yeah. So um, the, in, in, you know, the most recent TED talk that I gave, I, I, I opened it up with a conversation that I have with my, with my young man who's, um, who is excited about martial arts like I was. And then part of it is I'm sure dad's influence and showing him old videos. And he got to see my very first uh, mixed martial arts fight. He got to see that on DVD for the first time the other day. And, you know, we've gone down this rabbit hole a while, but he came up to me not long ago and he's like, dad, I, I, I want to do jujitsu. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm in, I'm interested. I'm excited about it. And it was, and it was his own thing. And I'm like, that's awesome, man. And so um, the really simple next step for us is okay well we know where the good jujitsu jujitsu gyms are and so like that's where he's gonna go because you go to the jujitsu gym and you're with that mentor you know that master and you're going to um, get on the mat and you're gonna suck because you have no idea what's going on it's the first time you've ever done anything um, and so you're going to just start learning step by step but you're going to learn through failing and you're going to learn through losing and you're going to learn through you know, all it, it's experiential learning. It's how human beings are wired. It's how we learn. It's how we walk. It's how we talk. It's how we do anything. You suck at it at first. You just keep trying. You've got other people leading by example. You got people giving you little steps throughout the way, opening more doors. And the longer you stay at it, the better you get. And I use that example in that talk because I wanted to contrast that with what we do in conveyor belt schooling, which is what I call the traditional schools like that we've, you know, the majority of people have grown up in. Whereas if a student would have said, you know, I want to learn jujitsu, then a conveyor belt schooling, and I did it kind of tongue in cheek, they would, you know, make you do a multiple choice, choice test around it, start watching videos around it, read a textbook around it. Um, you know, maybe you would make a trifold board around it um, and talk about what jujitsu is and learn the history of it and memorize the names of all the great jujitsu players. And, you know, and then, then they would tell you, hey, now you've learned about jujitsu. And I, I'm just trying to compare one versus the other. And, um, you know, I compare one saying, look, this is what schooling is all about. It's a system. And this is what education really looks like. It's about application in your life. And so that's that was the example that I used. Yeah. So beautiful. And I love that you're encouraging that with your son. And that's like, as I alluded to before, that was like a huge part of my childhood was like, I saw a video that you posted on Instagram of like, you kind of like fighting with your, your son, you know, he was kind of like throwing some punches at you yeah, and you're yeah, yeah. playing around with him. Like, like that was the kind of stuff that we did in my household too, which was like really cool seeing that. And like, I think it's a really cool bonding experience when you, when, when a kid at a very young age has a goal or like something that they can aspire yes. to. And so he was, is, is, I, did I miss this? Is he five? How old is he? When he, when he had this he's idea? Six now. Six yeah. Now. Five when he had the idea and he's six now. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yep. Cool. I love yep. that. So, so, so far people have gotten, and, and there's a reason why I want to talk about all your family values. Cause obviously you're such a family man. Such an important part of the show is somebody that, you know, you're the shiny example of somebody that prioritized their family and really invests in your family. And obviously you're doing some massive things in the world, but we, we've learned a little bit about your wife. We learned a little bit about your son. I want to, I want to hear a little bit about your daughters as well. So I would love for you to tell the story about uh, horses. What, what, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, horses and what that has to do with your, your daughters. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So my girls are, are currently uh, 11 and nine, um, but it was uh, a few years, a few years back, um, I guess it was closer to probably four years back. Cause I think they're about seven and five when we had this conversation, 
um, you know, they, they had really, especially my older one had really taken a liking to horses and wanted to watch horse videos and read books about horses. And, um, we had gone and done some, you know, pony rides at local fairs. She had gone to, um, check out, you know, we were in a part of California that had kind of little mini ranches and some people had horses. And so, you know, she'd taken some walks and gone, oh my gosh, learned about a place where you could ride them when you were 10. And if, as long as you helped out, like she was just getting really, really excited about it. And so they're like, dad, you know, and my kids are not, they were not the tip. They've never been the typical, like, oh, I want this. I want that's not how they roll. But both of my girls were like, oh my gosh, dad, that would be really cool to have some horses. Like we want to, we want to get horses. Um, and I was like, that's awesome, man. I think that's really, really cool that you guys want horses. And I'll tell you what, you figure out a way to get yourself some horses and I'll figure out a way to make sure we have room to put horses. Cause we lived in a little suburb at that time. We didn't live in the ranch part of, you know, um, that was nearby. Um, and so they took those words very, very seriously. Now running businesses is a part of what we do at the schools that I, that I help build. And so they took it extremely seriously they put their heads together. They created a business for an upcoming business fair that we were having. Um, and they created a, a cookbook. It was a digital cookbook. Um, they actually reached out to all the other campuses in our network worldwide. And they asked other young heroes at those campuses, many in other, other states, other countries, what are your favorite recipes? And can you send us any pictures of those recipes or maybe you making those recipes? And they put together this digital cookbook of what all these young heroes from around the world loved. And they brought that to the business fair and they sold, we had thousands of people come to the business fair. They sold those cookbooks. Um, they had printed some out so you could have some physically, but they had digital products where they could just create and send. So they had people pay give them the email, and then they just started dishing them out. Um, and they made thousands of dollars at seven and five doing this, right? So they made a ton of cash there. Um, they got another idea to help promote and market food trucks um, later on down the road. And so they were creating commercials for these local food trucks, like these two cute little girls creating these commercials helping them run it on social media. They were negotiating, having food trucks show up to a place and they'd get a percentage of the profits to go out and like give tickets and like, so they did all of these things so that they could get enough money to where they bought two horse. They came very quickly within a couple of years and said, look, dad, we've got all the money we need to buy the horses. So I made sure I bought the ranch. Uh, and we were on the ranch less than a week and we got our first two horses delivered to the ranch that they bought with their money. That is, oh my gosh, there's so much to go into that. First and, first and foremost, so cool. I, I didn't know this until recently, but can you, how much are horses? Like these things are not cheap. To, how much are, were these horses that they had to pay for? So you can, you can, it depends. And I, I've learned so much. I knew nothing about horses. And so it depends. It depends on the breed, depends on the age, depends on the type. Um, depends on, you know, if they're old and they're really just going to be kind of grazing. It depends on if you want to show, I mean, obviously you can get horses that are in the millions, right. But they got, um, some older horses that were just going to be more for riding and raising. Um, and so they were somewhere around, I mean, they were somewhere around five or six grand. So they had money not only to buy the horses, but they had money to, um, buy the feed as well. And then of course they were taking care of the, the horses, um, in the meantime, but they bought the horse, and all of the, you know, all of the, the saddles and the tack and, and all the stuff that goes along with it as well. Okay. So there's the, gosh, there's so many cool things from that story, but like, 
obviously the heroes of that story are your daughters. They were the ones that had the desire and they, they were ones that, that made, they did the work and they made it happen. But the other side of that story is you're the other hero in that story is because you encouraged them and you didn't, you didn't squash that in them that they wanted that. And you gave them the environment that actually allowed them to express that and, and expand on that. So like, um, I, I guess there's multiple questions that I could ask here, but I guess for anyone listening that has kids or is thinking about kids and you see that early seed of genius or a desire, maybe it is to learn jujitsu or maybe it is to go get a, get a, uh, a horse. What were some of the things that were going through your mind to encourage them and give them the environment to help them make that a reality without doing all the work for them? Yeah, that's exactly. And I love the way you frame that too. And you talk about the environment, right? And so what I try to let parents understand is that um, because culturally we have been uh, told this is not the case and we've been made to believe it's not the case. And we've been um, kind of hoodwinked in, in a lot of ways. What I want parents to understand is that when that child comes out and that we first have that child, the default setting for a human being is genius. That is a default setting. We actually are the ones that train it out of them, beat it out of them, scare it out of them um, because we've had it trained out of us, beat out of us, scared out of us, right? So the default setting is genius. And our responsibility as parents is not to do something directly to that genius. Um, and what I mean by that, I use the example of a garden and a flower. Like you don't plant a flower and then come over and yell at the flower, threaten the flower, you know, beat the flower, like whatever, to make the flower grow. What you do is you look at the environment and you go, okay, is the soil good? Is the sun correct? Is, you know, the amount of water right? Like you, you make sure the environment is good and then the flower is going to do what the flower does. The flower is going to grow. And it's going to grow and it's going to be the perfect version of that flower. It's not going to be exactly like other flowers. It's just going to be exactly what that flower should be. Our job as parents, it's the same thing. It's the environment, right? And so part of that environment is the mental um, you know, uh, component of, of how we raise our young heroes. So I want my kids to understand that uh, you know, it, if you want to do something, have something, create something, be something, that is always within your power to do it, but there's correlating responsibilities, right? So discipline equals freedom. Like there's responsibilities and then there's freedom. It goes in that order. So they know that in our house, they've got all the freedoms in the world and they have the opportunity to add other freedoms, but they've got to be willing to add the correlating responsibility and that's a balance. So as far to the right, is this freedom, you know, having a horse is an amazing privilege, um, that's why not a lot of people have them. I mean, it's, they're expensive. They're expensive to raise. It takes a lot of time. That is an amazing privilege. So if you're starting from, from zero and going and saying, look, that privilege is a scale of 100, well, then that means you got to go back the other way and go the responsibility to get there. And by the way, that has to come first. That responsibility has to equal the same thing. So you're going to have to do all of these things to be responsible enough and resourceful enough to have that horse over here. I just want them to understand that that's a reality. Um, so we always look at it, you know, from a, a standpoint of, okay, if this is what you want, why do you want it? What do you want to do? Um, and how are you going to get it? What are the steps? What are the responsibilities you're going to take on first to earn the freedom to? Um, and that's always the conversation, no matter how big or small in our house. I was ironically this morning, as I was running, I was listening to a book that I'm not going to remember the title because it was, it was a book on like yoga and I don't remember how I got there, but it seemed really interesting. But he was, he was talking about the word responsibility. We forgot what the word responsibility means. It actually means 
your ability to respond. Like that's all it is, is your ability to respond. And we've blown it up and to be so much more than that. But it's like, I love that you're empowering your kids to, to take that ability to respond in their own hands. And I know that part of that is, and, and you teach this in Acton, which people know from your bio, you have three, three schools that do this, but Socratic discussion. I know that this is like a really important component of this. So I can only imagine that day, those, your daughters come to you. They're like, we, we want a horse. And you're like, okay, I'll get you the ranch. You just got to get the horses. And like the, the, the actions that they took to eventually start getting the, compiling the cookbook and the, the whole food truck thing, you know, they, I would assume that this came through like helping them have discussions to lead to the conclusion and next step. So like, can we get a little bit like granular there? Like how, how did you help them have those conversations to help them move towards those decisions that they made? Yeah, it's a really good, and, and thank you for, for, um, for, putting in the, you know, the acting kind of the Socratic method and stuff too, right? As far as that goes, because I try to do that from a parenting standpoint too. I'm, I'm always trying to ask them why I'm trying not to, as much as I can, not to impart um, any kind of fears, thoughts, behaviors or whatever on my side. I just want to explore. So they always feel comfortable coming to me and I'm always going to be that guide with them and going, hmm, okay, that's an interesting thought. So what do you what are you thinking about this? Why does this sound interesting to you? What are the next steps? Would you rather get enough money to buy your own horse and then have all the responsibility that comes with that of, of taking care of it and having to shovel you know, the poop and all that? Or um, would you rather have the same amount of money and uh, you know go lease a horse? Or would you have the same amount of money and then continuously are able to go visit a horse or I'm trying to give all of these options and so they can sit and explore and, and think on those things, right? But the most important part of that, and it's the same thing we do with a launch, is we want to inspire uh, at the beginning of a conversation, right? So we want to put them into this, um, into the shoes of a young hero who's got to make a heroic decision, uh, and, and try to think through all of the ripple effects of that heroic decision, right? So um, at Acton, we may, you know, if we're going to uh, try to give a good example here. So if we're going to dive into a NASA quest, we're going to take six weeks and we're going to dive into all things space and space exploration, some of the kids are going to be really excited about it. Inherently, some are not going to be excited about it. Some are going to be relatively neutral. So what we want to do is we want to start with an inspirational sort of story and putting them in the shoes of a hero that then they can take that heroic mindset as they explore this topic. So we might go, uh, we might show them the challenger, um, you know, from like 1986 or whenever it was that went up and it was publicized national TV. I remember watching it in school um, when I was in like second grade, the challenger goes up, everybody's excited. And then not too long after takeoff, it blows up, right? Everybody on board dies. And then we'll show them a video of Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time. And Ronald Reagan addresses the nation and, and talks about what they're going to do to honor the legacy of these people. And then we'll come back to the heroes and go, okay, this just happened in the world. You are Ronald Reagan. You now have to make a hard decision. Are you going to double NASA's funding so that this never happens again? Or are you going to get rid of NASA and space exploration altogether so that it never happens again? The answer is a lot of times, the logical answer is a lot of times in between. 
but we make you think about the extremes sure. and make you have to argue one side or the other because it makes you have to think more deeply about the potential ripple effects of any side of an extreme, right? And so you have a more clear thought pattern. So I take that same thing and go, okay, cool. So you guys are, you know, you might be these heroes that are going to end up working with horses. You're going to end up, you know, maybe you end up training horses. Maybe you end up, so let's explore how cool careers and horses can be and go, okay, if you're going to be this person who ends up um, you know, training the horses that are going on for and, and competing, you're going to end up being that person. Is it going to be more valuable to you to buy a horse right now that's that you're personally responsible for every day, even if every day is the mundane? Or is it going to be more beneficial to take that money and go get a lesson over here? You don't have to take care of that horse. You just have to get lessons in um, all of the really cool things around riding a horse, like what's going to be more beneficial, you know? And so we try to take it from that level and have them really think through so that when they're deciding, yeah, you know what, I actually want the horse. I want the responsibility that comes with the horse. They've had more opportunity to think through multiple angles. Um, and then there are this hero on this journey to earn the horse, you know? And so it keeps that long tail motivations there. It's like, yes, we're getting closer to getting the horse, getting closer. Um, so, I mean, two years of a, a, you know, or a year and a half, whatever it was before they actually purchased it. That's a pretty long tail vision for, you know, little people. Yeah. And I love just to highlight some things that you, you were saying, but you didn't directly say it's like from, from what, how you communicated that you weren't telling them that they were right or wrong in any situation. You were providing them with different options and different ways of thinking about things and um, also not taking a stance. It seems like you weren't taking a particular side either way. You were allowing them to explore all those different things. So I loved those two things. The other thing that I just, just to kind of relate to my experience and how valuable this has been in my life, um, my one of the other things outside of my, that my dad has uh, provi provided me with was outside of doing Taekwondo, I, I played pool. So like there's this awesome picture of like my dad playing pool and he has me strapped on his back and I'm like kind of holding a ball, like staring and just like enamored with him playing pool. And so yeah. like I used to play pool when I was old, like my, I would carry like one of those like little stools around the table and my dad would unscrew half of the cue. And so I would have to like move the little stool around and then play with half the cue. All that to say, like I started playing pool at a really young age and learning one skill set like pool has been instrumental in every single area of my life is because even though that was like my first thing that I started exploring at a young age, once I had the foundational first principles things that were about pool, you know, like isolating your movements, right? Like something very important in pool is like, if you're moving your back arm all over the place, like you're not going to have an accurate shot. So it's like, once I understood that, now I know that if I want to go figure out basketball, or if I want to go figure out something else, like, okay, like now I know this is, this is where I learned this in pool. And this is how it's applicable over here. And so I think that it's really cool that for these, your, your heroes, whether it's your son, uh, or your daughters or the kids that you're working with, it's like you're encouraging them to build these first principle, these things that are are grounded in their passions, because once they have a foundational understanding of those things, it actually allows them to see a whole new way of thinking and applying it to different contexts. So I love That's all right. that. It's transferable, right? It's those are the things that are transferable. Um, you know, I tell parents all the time, like the resilience the uh, the understanding around failure, right? You, you very early on when 
Brandon Fong first learned to walk, he stood up on the couch and he wobbled and he tried to take that first step and he fell on his butt. He failed at walking. But what did his parents do? They went, yay, Brad, oh my gosh, way to go. And so you started going, okay, hmm, all right. So you pull yourself back up and you take another wobbly step and then you fall. You failed at walking again. And they went, yes, that's awesome. Because they understood that if you kept failing at that over and over and over again, eventually you were going to succeed. Right. What if we took that same kind of mindset and transferred it? And we get to school and we go, don't fail. Failure is a bad thing. Don't fail. Don't fail. And all of a sudden we put a roadblock in on that on that whole process. But it's again, if we foster those things, like you said, that are, you know, that are transferable, um, those foundational concepts. And we allow that to be what, uh, you know, what is, is really the foundation for their mindset. It, it opens up so many things. And you also talked about not, you know, taking a stance and I get a lot of pushback. People are like, well, there's some things that are right and wrong. You bet. That's where our family rules come in, right? Like that's where our values come in. We're not, we don't negotiate on those. Um, those are the rule. Like that's, those are character traits. Those are values um, that we integrate. Those things we do not take a stance on. Yes, there is right and there are wrong things. And those are, you know, there, um, when it comes to other situations, then I need to back up and just help them think. Yeah. So you, you alluded to something right there, which was your family rules, which I, I had as something that I, I knew I couldn't miss, which is so cool that you led me right there. But, but just to set some context for this, I think that, um, when it comes to problem solving I've, I've observed that some of the most elegant solutions come not from correcting like micro things but rather having like a macro perspective and cheat pursuing a positive goal instead of correcting the micro inaccuracies right so um that you know as you said the family rules i know you have 11 of them we don't have to like rattle through all of them or if you want to you can i would love it but i, I think that this is so important you know even as i was talking earlier about like when i was in taekwondo they, they taught us to have we had family home rules like uh, children will say hi and goodbye to their parents before they enter or leave the house, you know, small things like that. That was like really important is like having that respect, like when you walk in the door and like those things, I think, are super foundational and allow that that foundational that foundation to build from. So would love for you to talk a little bit about your family rules, the thought process behind it and, and how that has impacted your family culture. So good, man. I love that you had that experience. I think that is I think that's phenomenal. It's one of the ben biggest benefits of martial arts specifically, especially, you know, traditional arts as they focus so much on that, on that character and those values. I love that. Yeah, we, um, you know, our, our schools, and this is where the rules came from, our schools operate in that similar fashion. We have contracts that the, the young heroes create in their studio. Studio is what we say instead of classroom, because we have mi these mixed age groups, and this is kind of their, um, this is their sacred space, right? The five, six, and seven-year-olds operate here in this room. They're going to be all over campus operating with everybody all day long, but they're going to have their specific home base. And in that home base, they determine the character traits that they're going to embody. They determine what does that sacred space look like for us and who are we going to be in that space? So they come together and they build out their contract that they all sign, we have a ceremony around it, they sign it um, and they all are going to adhere to that. And not only does that set a precedent for themselves personally, what it does is it allows them to then have tangible conversations, even at five, six or seven around, um, you know, anybody that may be violating those standards or things that aren't going the way they should, right? They can self-reflect and go, okay, you know, one of the rules in here, 
on our contract is this. I'm not, I'm not adhering to that right now. I can change my own behavior or gosh, man, you know, one of the rules is don't distract during core skills time. And, and Brandon, you keep coming over and poking me while I'm trying to do my work. You signed that. Um, so Brandon, can you please remember that you signed that? And this is specifically what you're doing versus what you said. It just gives them some tangible things for really high level conversations. Um, and, and it's extremely powerful in self-governance. And so that's ultimately what I want for my kids too, right? I want self governance. I want them to be able to write the script of their own story, not need me to provide. It's what all parents want. They don't, nobody wants a 40 year old child living in your basement that you're providing for, providing direction for, providing for financially. You don't want, like, you don't want that. You want them to have that sovereignty at some point. Well, I want the same thing for my kids. So we brought that same concept home uh, and created, you know, together kind of our, our family rules, our family values, where we said, look, this is just who we are. And the power in that is not only having those defined um, where we can all self-reflect and it's not only having those to where mom and dad can go, hey guys, you know, rule number 10 is you are personally responsible. The power in it is that if mom and dad mess up and we will, they are allowed to look at that and go, hey dad, rule number six is no complaining, fix it. You kind of sound like you're complaining right now. What are you going to do about that? And I can go, yeah, man, thank you. You know, that's like this peer-to-peer -peer accountability. And it's and if they do that respectfully too, it just heightens their own self-awareness. It heightens their their leadership. It heightens their own personal sovereignty. It heightens their ability um, to really. It, it heightens our relationship because they believe me when I'm saying it to them. And they see the respect that I give them in that. And they see that I respect when they see it in me, right? There's no hypocrisy there. So it deepens our relationship. Um, it's just wildly powerful, man. So we've got those 11. Um, yeah. And I can list it if you want me to list them, if that, if that helps, I'm glad to do that. I'll just list yeah, them real would, quick. Would, would love that. And I think maybe this is reiterating exactly what I said before, but it's like, I think this is just so cool because instead of if your kids are not with you anymore, you're not going to be there to help them make every single decision. But if you gave them those foundational core values, they can make and inform the decisions from those core values. So it's like yeah. one way to solve for a thousand problems instead of solving for a thousand problems individually. So I, I love that. And yes, I would love for you to go through your family rules. That's exactly it, man. Yeah, it becomes the lens through which they can look at things and make decisions, right? And, and again, it's just as valuable for us. So rule number one for us is being honest. And, and I always say that we always give the caveat of that starts with uh, about yourself, right? So being honest is, is pretty straightforward. We don't lie. We don't lie to our kids ever. That includes like Santa Claus. Um, I'm not knocking anybody if they do Santa and like whatever, like that's great. But for us, we're just like, man, that I don't want them to be like, oh, okay, well, they lied to us about that for years. What else are they maybe lying about, right? Like, I just don't want that to even enter their mind. So we just don't, we just don't lie. We are honest um, with them at all times. And, um, but it also is that self-reflection, be honest, especially starting with yourself. Like, where are you missing the boat? Where are you excited? Where are you sad? Where are you wanting to um, get better? You know, it's all of those things, that self-awareness piece. Um, being a copycat is number two, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the, uh, the Braveheart concept, um, for us, be a copycat means look at people who are doing things you want to do, 
who are achieving things you want to achieve, who are impacting the world in a way that you want to impact the world. If you look at those people, they're leaving patterns of success. Um, they are leaving clues, you know, and it's a lot of what we do with Apogee too, right? We got the best of the best coming in every single week. You know, when these guys have Brandon Fong one week and then they've got, you know, Frank Grillo the next week and then they've got Andy Frazella the next week. Those are all, those are three vastly different humans, but they're all amazing men who are leading and impacting the world. And our guys can go, okay, what are the patterns that are similar right here? What are the things that I can learn and adopt? And so that's what that um, that's what that means for us. Three is being an emotional ninja, um, just meaning feelings are, are a good thing. They're a normal thing. They're a human thing, but we want to be able to acknowledge those and respect those without being controlled by our emotions, right? Be able to detach enough at some point to be able to have control or not be controlled by emotions, especially in a time when um, the most emotional, loudest, saddest, most victimized you know, tends to be what's put on a pedestal. We want to be the opposite of that. Um, be the hardest worker in the room is pretty self-explanatory, but we, the caveat for us is, you know, really you're comparing yourself to yourself. Don't, don't go in there with this competitive mindset. If I'm going to outwork everybody here, you're going to go in and work as hard as you possibly can and make sure it's your best effort at whatever it is that you're doing. Same thing with the next one is be the nicest person in the room. Um, just meaning respect is non-negotiable. Manners are non-negotiable. Like you treat people well. Um, it doesn't mean you ever let yourself get run over. And it doesn't mean you let yourself get treated poorly. If somebody is not a good influence and they treat you poorly and there's some sort of, you know, you don't have to associate with that person. And then, you know, if things obviously got physical, you always have the right to be a complete savage on the other side. But in relationships that you have, um, you know, treating people well is non-negotiable. Uh, number six is no complaining, fix it. If it's worth complaining about, then it is worth absolutely finding a solution for. Otherwise, don't say anything about it. Um, number seven is think because most people won't. Um, we think the world is majority reactive and fear-based and we want to be very proactive. We want to be, you know, very, um, you know, joy-filled and, and, and loving and, and excited and driven um, and so we think we have to really analyze what we're doing, why we're doing it and be proactive and going forward and, and achieving it versus just reacting and doing what the status quo is. Uh, discipline equals freedom. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. We use those words specifically. Thank you, Jocko Willink, um, for that. Uh, memento mori, uh, which translates into, you know, remember that you will die. That is not a fascination with death. It is a fascination with life. It is uh, the understanding that, that life ends, that this day itself is finite. Um, and we only have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of energy. So why don't we use that energy towards what we want to create and who we want to help? Um, and, and let's use the time wisely in order to do that and not waste it. Um, you are personally responsible. Uh, is number 10, and meaning you are responsible for right where, being right where you are and wherever you want to be. Um, you're responsible uh, for, for taking the steps necessary. And then number 11, the right thing is always the right, is always the right thing. And that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's the, um, the integrity piece. You don't sacrifice that ever. That's not negotiable. So beautiful. I would encourage everyone to borrow rule number two, be a copycat. If some of these resonated with you, use them as foundational to build your family rules, your values. As I listen to the clarity that Matt has, I realize the growth that I have left to get clear on this because, you know, 
the, the, the macro conversation here is what are the values that you make your decisions from? Like it is so much easier to make uh, informed choice if you know that it's coming from a specific value set. Um, and it's like, it's like answering one question to answer many. Like I, I, I heard about this initially from Tim Ferriss where he talked about like, he makes these rules where you make one decision and then it solves a thousand other things. Like the example that Tim gave is like, I don't read books within the last 10 years or within the year it was published or something like that. So he immediately solved for the thousands of people that send him their newest books. He's like, nope, just the rule is that I'm not reading. You know, so like one solution like that, one way that I'm applying it, I recently bought a Chrome extension. I would highly recommend everybody do this. It's one of the best investments you can make for your, for your productivity, but it's called uh, Gmail inbox when ready, if you use Gmail. And uh, I only check my email between four and 5 PM. And I physically can't because of, the way that the, the extension is set up. So it's like, that was one decision that solved other problems of getting distracted throughout the days. It's like, nope, it's like, I literally cannot access my email or if I have to send an email, I can, but I just can't see my inbox until four o'clock. And so like that one, one thing. So just as you were sharing, like those are all incredible, uh, but I'll say, I'm, do you wanna, can you run through all 11 really quick in case someone wants to do notes and then we can move on to the, the next thing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, be honest starting with yourself, be a copycat, be an emotional ninja, be the hardest worker in the room, be the nicest person in the room, no complaining, fix it. Think because most people won't. Discipline equals freedom, memento mori. You are personally responsible uh, and doing the right thing is always the right thing. Beautiful. And it's funny, as you brought up memento mori, one of the I think the reason why we initially, I originally reached out to you and we got connected is because we both had Todd Herman on the show and I saw he was on your show earlier. And so yeah. I love, love Todd and alter ego fact. I've done a deep dive into that. I know you have as well, but part of my alter ego transformation is I have a memento Mori coin uh, that uh, I use and uh, it's got, it's pretty cool. It's maybe I'll send you one, Matt, if you want one, it's got uh, memento Mori on one side and memento Viveri on the other side. So it's like, remember that you have to live and remember that one day you will die. Uh, super, yeah. super super powerful. So, um, so, man, I'm so glad that we have a, a, a bigger container here. Cause there's there, like, there's more things I want to dive into. So, so far yeah. people have, people have seen a little bit of hints of what you're doing at Acton. You've talked a little bit yeah. about the studios. So like that maybe has tickled some of your brains, like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. There's mixed kids, there's Socratic discussion. So there's like lots of things that are going in here. So maybe, maybe at like a, a high level, Matt, uh, yeah. what are some of the whys or the mission behind Acton? And then we can dive into some of the, well, the day in the life and some of the cool things that you're doing on the day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, from a very high level, the, you know, the, the belief is that everybody is on a hero's journey, you know, and very much a Joseph Campbell, uh, you know, kind of context of the hero's journey is that everybody is on a hero's journey, that everybody is a genius. And so the goal is to allow them to find a calling that will allow them to change the world, right? Like from a very high level, that's what it is. And we believe that that happens through, um, through being very, very intentional about your time, being very intentional about your words, because those become your thoughts that become your beliefs, that become your actions, that become your habits, that become your character, you know? And, and so we're very intentional about all those things. And we think responsibility, again, having shouldering, uh, the, uh, a lot of um, being very intentional and front-loading a lot of responsibility in terms of having to serve others and, and take on more than the average young person should ever, you know, what culture says they should ever take on. We believe they're super capable. Um, and so we try to front-load all that into these systems that allow these young heroes to run the day-to-day -day on a campus. 
Um, and we really try to scare, you know, almost try to scare parents away by saying, look, the ideal day at our campus is that the adults don't show up, the kids don't notice, nothing changes, and they still run it like a Fortune 500 company. Uh, and <laughs> we'll so go, oh my gosh, well, that's, you know, but it's so possible and it's so, it's so absolutely possible. And we have multiple locations that are doing exactly that sometimes. And they'll have, we'll have adults on site to make sure things are safe, make sure there's no safety issues, make sure there's somebody there to take care of things. But we can get our campuses to a level where the students are quite literally running the day-to-day the whole time. Um, and that's a really, really powerful concept. So, um, you know, it's that that overarching is belief is that the students are wildly capable of doing that and that that's how you build that foundation. Epic, 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 epic. So uh, it, it's funny. I had another. Do you know Giovanni Marsico? Have you met Giovanni? Matt. Giovanni, I've definitely not met Giovanni. The name you know sounds him? familiar, but I definitely have not met. Okay. He's got a company called Archangel. Um, and he like helps, helps entrepreneurs uncover their superpowers and build business models around it. So like, um, he's kind of known as like the real life professor X, but I will say you are also a real life professor X from X-Men, you know, like, cause he's doing it for entrepreneurs. But actually, if you look at it, Professor X works with gifted children and helps them to uncover their superpowers at a great level. So I could argue, I love you, I love you, Gio, but I, I, like because Matt is specifically working with kids, maybe I'll just say you guys are both awesome Professor X's in your own, in your own things. But I love that you're, you're setting this up. <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually watching all the X-Men movies with my wife uh, right now. So I'm kind of like steeped That's into awesome. the, the, <laughs> the Professor That's X. That's super parts. cool. <laughs> yeah, but, that's so, it, man. It's that belief in that genius, right? And that's it. It's uncovering the specific genius around each one. And we have such a narrow view of what genius is. And I get people that have pushed back and going, look, you know, if you look at it, man, it's only the, the top 1% of people in any given arena are the ones that make, um, you know, all the money or all the impact, man. So that's not really fair. And I know it's extremely fair because if you think about it, there are an infinite number of games to play. And so if you look at it like that, what we do is we go, okay, this young person, what is the game that you are going to create and define? You are going to have this unique set of experiences that it's going to, by default, make you the best in the world at something. Um, find that because then you can go, you know, impact so many people. And so, yeah, it's, it just get to solve so many puzzles um, all day. It's amazing. Love that. So for anybody that has seen uh, X-Men first class, I think that's the first one. I don't remember. Like there's the scene where Logan walks into Z Professor Xavier's school of gifted youngsters and they're like throwing ice balls and fire and all that cool shit, you know, like they're teleporting all over the place. I, so I'm yeah. imagining Acton is exactly the same as that, right? So like I walk onto campus, it's pretty much pretty much the same exact thing. So I would, I would love, give us like a virtual tour in our mind. So if we, we yeah. open the door at Acton and we're on campus, what are some of the things that we're seeing? How is the day run? Just kind of give us, paint that in our, our brains. So good, man. So yeah, so they each studio starts the morning with a, a morning launch. And so studio, you've got these mixed age groups. And again, they're going to interact throughout the day, but they'll start with their studio that's roughly the same age, five, six, and seven, maybe over here, um, kind of eight through 11, 12-ish over here, you know, kind of the middle school age over here and maybe high school or maybe middle school and high school together. It depends on the campus. Um, you have the kind of these ages. They'll start with their morning launch which literally starts with a morning meeting of 
everybody's in this Socratic circle. They're looking at each other in the eye. They're shaking hands. They're saying, good morning. I'm saying, you know, good morning, Brandon. Brandon's going, good morning, Matt. Brandon turns over here and goes, good morning, Xavier. And Xavier says, good morning, Brandon. He says, good morning, Logan, right? It goes around. And then, um, and then they'll go into a launch and they'll have a Socratic discussion, not unlike what I just, um, you know, talked about with uh, like the Ronald Reagan and NASA example. Um, you know, they'll have that or they'll watch um, five or six minutes of, a, of an inspiring TED talk and they'll have a conversation around it. It's just something to start the day at a really high level, getting, get their brains going, get them thinking, get them excited to be there to go tackle their hero's journey for the day. Um, and then they'll break off. And what they'll do is they'll work on their individual things in the morning when they are most fresh. So what that means is maybe Brandon and Matt are um, partners and we're running buddies. I'll go set, we have a proprietary software. I'll go set my goals for the day, my personal goals. What do I want to work on? Um, where do I want to get? What am I working on right now that I'm really excited about? And like, this is where I want to go today. So I'll set those goals. You'll set your goals. I'll look and go, okay, man, cool. How can I support you in yours? Like, this is awesome. You'll go, how can I support you in yours? And then we're like, let's go. By the way, parents can log in and they can see those as well, right? Because so, we want parents to have those goals. We want them to know at home. Right. And so that they can be supporting that at home and they can have those conversations, too, because us as the adults on campus, we're not there to go, uh, Brandon, we think your goals should be. No, 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 no. We're there to go. Awesome. Let's go do this. Like, let's go push it, man. Let's rock it. Use us as a resource. We're here for your goals, Brandon. Like, this is great. Right. And so they learn to do that very early on and then they'll tackle that might be you know, a book they're reading that might be a podcast they're creating. It might be an individual, might be individual academics that they're doing through something like Khan Academy. It might be individual academics that they're doing through an individual project where they're building out, you know, a mock restaurant and running the P&Ls for it or whatever that is. So they work on all those individual things. Um, and then of course, you know, we're going to have breaks built in where they can go outside and just free play and run around and go. Um, but they got the individual times from a macro level, they'll have the collaborative times in the afternoon. And I'm going to come back to some of the individual stuff too, but the, the, the macro level, that's where we will give them experiences. They might not even know are, are possible to expose them to as much as, as humanly possible. So they can really, by the end of the time they leave us, they can go, okay, I know what I like generally and what I don't like and what I'm good at and what, I, what I'm not good at because they're speaking from context. They haven't just taken five subjects forever, every day, you know, for 12 years, they've gotten to explore NASA. They got to explore creating a play. They got to explore surviving in the wilderness. They got to explore, you know, making a, a escape room. They got to explore marine biology. They got to explore um, building out, a building a tiny home with, uh, you know, wood and, and nails and actually like physically building it and then also doing a 3D model of it. And then like they got to explore all these things so they can say, I like this or this sucks or whatever. They can do it from actual knowledge. So the afternoons are built around these collaborative quests that are going to have a public exhibition of some sort. And so when you got mornings are individualized, afternoons are more collaborative and then there's all the little unique systems throughout the day where older students may be coming in and part of their job on campus, part of their responsibility on campus is actually teaching youngers and the youngers that are doing Khan Academy and they're doing math, you know, as part of their personal goals, the olders might be in there going, okay, we can, we're here as kind of a tutor and like, we can help you and take on that responsibility. Might have an older student that's like, I actually want to be a chef. So I'm going to take on the responsibility for making the meals 
for the students on campus. And I'm going to hire some other younger students. And every day we're going to cook the meals and make sure we have all the meals that have come through on orders. And we're going to put those meals out, you know, by noon at lunchtime, right? Everybody's got jobs on campus um, that help play into those micro, uh, you know, uh, micro influencing throughout the day. And then the older ones, especially as they get into middle and high school, part of their day will also be, you know, the business side of things, um, as much uh, responsibilities we can handle, you know, the athletic director at our school is, you know, a high school student who's responsible for setting up the, setting up the games and the scheduling and, um, you know, making sure that the teams know when their schedule is and when their practices are and getting to places on time and hiring the coaches and like those are done by high school students, right? They take on the business of actually running the school. We hand those things over as much as we can. And then we want them to be able to, you know, do things like have internships and apprenticeships offsite in areas that they're interested in as well. So um, a number of components, but um, that's kind of a very high level of the things that you'd see. Dude, my uh, spidey senses are like on fucking fire right now. Like my, like I, when, when people say stuff that resonates with me, I just get like these chills. Like it is, it is so cool. I always have like tears in my eyes thinking about what you're doing for these kids, just because it's like, it is so just I'm using super strongly, but it's so fucking broken to see juniors in college waiting to explore, waiting yep. to see what they want. Like go to look at the model right now, go wait until you're a junior and like work at fast food restaurants and, and serve at tables until you're a junior in college and then get an internship and then figure out what you want to do from there. Like, this is so cool that you're doing this at the earliest age possible. I love it so much. And just to just in case there is somebody out there that is, you know, like, like, okay, but you know, what about sixth grade math, you know? Um, so I, I would love for you to share the story about um, a parent that, that um, expressed their concern about their kids, their, their kids issues with the, the math class. I think you said there was a story uh, about mm. this. Yeah, it's so funny, man. So, I mean, it's not funny, but it's, it just speaks to the conditioning that, um, that, that we have had. So, you know, this, this, uh, mom in particular, a few, few years ago, she's a phenomenal human being. She's a public school teacher, by the way, um, which was, which was kind of interesting. So a public school teacher, she was a math teacher in, in public school, um, but still understood enough, right. That is like, okay, I don't want my son in, in this system. I want him in this other opportunity. Um, but it was a struggle for her because of this kind of religious conditioning around school. And so, uh, she, she asked me for a meeting, um, one day after school. And so we, um, went in and we sat down and she started, she was, she was crying. She was breaking down. And, um, she was saying, look, she says, I just, I'm going to be very open and honest. You know, I've, I've bankrupt, uh, or close to bankrupt our family. Like we're in a really bad financial, I control all the finances, um, you know, and, and we're really in a bad financial spot. Um, we haven't really done a good job on that. So we may, you know, need to potentially look at pulling our son, um, cause things aren't, aren't going well. We're not going to be able to necessarily afford things. Um, you know, and, and if I'm honest, there's one other thing that's kind of bugging me. She's like, it, it is, it's been great. Like watching him become more self-confident, like he's happier than he's ever been. He's more social than he's ever been. He's more polite than he's ever been. He's taking on more responsibility around the house than he ever has. Um, you know, he's made more friends than he ever has. Like he's just grown so much and all this self-confidence. It's amazing. See, I can't believe he's 12 years old and he's making like $2,000 in a, you know, a month in the business that he's, um, that he's, that he's building out. And I guess it's just, all of this is unbelievable, but 
um, were really concerned because, you know, he's supposed to be in sixth grade and he's only doing like, you know, fifth grade level academic math. And to me, that was just a microcosm of how controlled we are by this narrative of these specific grade levels and academia being on this pedestal. She listed out all the ways that her son was better off than he'd ever been. But her concern was that there was this theoretical grade level around academic math that he was a quote unquote year behind even though he was doing all these things and her who had always stayed at the status quo and was currently teaching the status quo had just admitted she didn't know anything about finance has bankrupted her family the 12 year olds making $2,000 a month. And she's worried about the math level right and like that's the religious conditioning that I'm really trying to help people get out of. Hmm. And, and um, if I remember correctly, from another podcast you listened to, you took a math test just to prove something. Would you mind sharing a little bit <laughs> about that? I did, man. Yeah. So, you know, the whole concept of grade level is a silly thing. And people, oh, fourth grade level, my kid's reading in the ninth grade level. My kid's, what does that mean? That's not a real thing. If it was real, we should be able to talk about all the other 42-year-olds in the world. And if they're at the same level as I am at whatever, right? So while I'm 42, so any other 42-year-olds better automatically be as smart as me and better not, like better be making the same amount of money as me. Better Otherwise, one of us is ahead and one of us is behind. And it's, it's a concept that has no bearing in reality at all. It's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing that we implement in there. So I took a test, a standardized test, uh, for our group of parents. Cause I wanted to prove a point. Um, I told them true story. I'd never got anything less than straight A's. I always got A's and it wasn't because I'm super, super brilliant. Uh, it was a big reason was because I figured out the game of school, I figured out how to play that game and to do well at that game. You can do well at that game and have nothing to offer the world. You can do really, really poorly at that game and be a wildly genius human being that's going to go make a great impact, right? The game is not indicative of anything else to, to come after it. Just how good are you at playing that game? So I figured out the game early. So I got my straight A's, but I would do it in the fashion that many young heroes do. Or it's just, all right, I'm going to figure out whatever this is. I'm going to regurgitate what I need to regurgitate when I need to regurgitate it. And then it's out of sight, out of mind. Um, I don't actually have it. I didn't actually learn it, retain it. I just played the game to get the mark. Um, so I always got my straight A's. And I now run multiple companies that that do well. And I've you get paid, you know, if I go speak to a big organization, I get paid good money to go stand on the stage and, and help that organization. Um, but I took a standardized test a few years ago just to show the parents where I was. And I came in at a sixth, quote unquote, sixth grade math level um, because it was it's all based on academia. And I don't use that stuff. Could I teach myself the academic stuff over again? Yes, I have the ability to teach myself. That's valuable. That's great. Do I ever use any of that specific academic math? I don't. Um, it wasn't relevant, right? And so, um, you know, to, to understand that and then go, yeah, but all people, all time need to do this very thing at this very specific time. Otherwise, something is wrong with them, right? Where we are setting ourselves up for issues. It's, I love that example. I love that. You, <laughs> it's such a, it's so stupid when you have to vocalize it. But as soon as you vocalize it, like, this is so dumb. It's so it's ridiculously dumb. <laughs> and I, but I love 
you know, going back to what I said before my comment about pool, you know, it's like I had that foundational thing that allowed me to learn. I think the other thing that I love that you do at Acton is that you have, you teach this entrepreneurial mindset and, you know, you come from the perspective of like, if you start a business, great. If not, like the, the, the things that you will learn from running and operating a business will teach you so much. And it's like, if I look at my education, I also got all straight A's and I was also really good at figuring, I had a spreadsheet to figure out exactly what I need to do, how much I need to attend. And like, I would just knock it. Like you said, I figured out how to, I figured out the game and okay. like, but, ne- and, and I love there's my wife will tell you, I, I love nothing more than an incredible spreadsheet. Like a spreadsheet, like I could spend all day working on a beautiful spreadsheet and it will light me up all day. And like, that's the math I love is like when I can figure out like a spreadsheet that works really well, but I did not even know that it was like a thing until like college, you know, and, and, but, but having the entrepreneurial context is like, if I, you know, just tying this all together, like, because your young heroes are working on business ventures, the moment that they learn math, it becomes immediately more relevant because just the other day, people were joking about like, like, oh, here I am adulting again and still don't know the quadratic formula. Like it's like the classic thing, but it's like, if you're, you know, working on a business and you have to come up with a PNL or you have to figure out some calculations for some projections, like it's immediately, there's a goal with a broader context that it's applied to, which is so cool. So um, I love that. I love the other thing you said a while back now, but like the three goals that like each kid gets to hold each other accountable for, like, that's what I do every single day before bed. It's like one of my habits is like, I have to have my top three priorities for the next yep. day before I go to bed. And like, it's so cool that you're training that, or you're, you're showing the value of that at a young age as well. So sure. man, so much value. Um, two other things that one, I'm just burningly curious to ask and I, I don't even, and the other one I want to talk about the paperclip challenge and then we can start to wrap things up maybe cool. um but the thing that I'm burningly curious about is clicks like this just occurred to me like from your observation of like obviously you go to high school like there's the jocks there's like the the theater kids and like all that stuff but I'm just curious from your observation like do you see those same groups forming or is it more like a collective what is that like like I'm just kind of curious yeah, yeah super interesting man it's um we we do a couple of things to to avoid kind of the classic those classic clicks that you'll see in schools one we keep our campuses relatively small so we don't usually go over about 150-ish maybe 200 learners because there's a social component to that where when you get much bigger than that you can't really have a working relationship with with that many people right so we want all of the heroes on campus to know all of the other heroes um, doesn't mean they're going to be BFS with every single one. That's that's not realistic. But yeah. they're going to know everybody, right? When yep. when my son is on campus at five years old, he's walking through campus, and I'm you know I, I watch him go through, and he's like, oh hey, what's up? You know what's up, Jet? And Jet's like, hey, what's up, Loudon? And they fist bump. It's cool because Loudon's five, you know, was five, and Jet was seventeen, right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, but they and they all know each other, right? So we don't want to lose that component of it. So that that part of it helps. Um, and then they're working on projects. Um, together and those projects are cross collaborative a lot of times too you got older working with youngers we'll do a full campus we'll do a full campus project at the beginning of every year where all of the students are working together on one common goal so they're automatically mixed up with all of the other ages and all of the other studios so they're creating these bonds and relationships with everybody does that mean they're always going to be hanging out with with every you know new people every day of course not just like anybody else you will you know resonate with with others and you'll vibe with others at a higher level and those will be the people you want to hang out with more but you have relationships with all of these other people um so they know everybody that's there and then one of the other interesting things though too which i think kind of represents a whole nother social dynamic is that everybody there has a voice 
right? Everybody there has the power to make choices and the power to, to really try to um, hold on to, to, to their sovereignty as much as they possibly can and, and really pick up the pen and write the script of their own life. And because they see that they've got that power, they've got those choices, they have the ability to make decisions, they have the ability to talk to somebody else and go, okay, let's go present this. And they can actually change the trajectory of an entire studio or even what we do on the campus. You, they don't tend to try to click up as much because those clicks a lot of times are a way to go, okay, here's a small unit where at least in this unit, they value my voice. And at least in this unit, we can find some commonalities and we can find a common enemy that we can look down upon, or we can find a common uh, hero that we all look up to, or we can find that common whatever. And so you have these clicks that then become these tribes. Well, they've got a voice. So they're not having to link up around mm. a common enemy or a common God. They're just linking up because we vibe at a high level and we're working on this together and we think each other's cool, but we also know them and hey, what's up? And we also know them and hey, what's up? And so it takes a lot of that clickiness out of the campus uh, situation. It really does. It's pretty cool. What an elegant solution. That's just, I mean, it just show, shows that this model is solving for multiple things, like just in the simplicity yes, and the elegance of it. And uh, so cool. So uh, I know you and I could, you said you did a three hour podcast episode yesterday. We could easily do one of those hands down. Sure. So, you know, we can, we can always do a round two or something like that. But uh, the last thing that I, I, I had, not the last thing, I have a lot more, but like the last thing I want to make sure we got today is uh, these projects that you have the kids work on are so freaking cool. Yeah. You, I think you alluded to some of them earlier. You mentioned like an escape room, like having the kids work together on a project to create an escape room is so cool. But uh, I, the, the one that, piqued my interest was this paper paperclip challenge that you worked with your kids so i'd love for you to tell the the story behind that and maybe some of the successes that the kids have had with their paperclip challenge for sure and so yeah what i get to do is you know running the running the the schools we've got the big collaborative challenges that they'll take on and then we'll have individual challenges as well right and so that can be part of their individual goals and their individual academia so you know a big collaborative challenge might be something like working together to create the escape room that we're going to put the parents through and, and they'll work together in a large group um, but you know an individual challenge might be something like the paperclip challenge and those are what we integrate into like the apogee program and all that kind of stuff too are these individual challenges um so we got the idea from this from a, a great ted talk and i want to say it was from like uh, it might be from like 2014 or 15 but and i wish i could give the gentleman credit to but if you google it and just look up you know ted talk paperclip challenge you'll find this guy's story and i, and I watched this ted talk and we'd shown it in the studio and I'm like, oh my gosh, like we have got, we have got to figure this. We've got to do this, man. So this guy, uh, it was a great talk about how we started with a paperclip and then just through trading, through having conversations with people going, I will give you this paperclip for your stapler, right? And then the stapler turned into, okay, I'm going to go to somebody else and go, I will give you this stapler for a, and you're just trading up with the idea of like, let's see how far I can get. How many conversations can I have? How many relationships can I make where I can start trading something in and getting something that for me is either of equal, it's, it's equal to or greater value that I can then go turn and be intentional and go, wait a second, if I can trade this stapler for this, you know, Yeti cup. And I know Brandon 
freaking collects Yeti cups and he loves it. And I bet you I could give him a Yeti cup and he'd give me a, you know, a PlayStation or something because it's that valuable to him. And then I can take that PlayStation and then I can go over here, right? It's, it's thinking through all those relationships and concepts and selling and communication. And it's all of those things that are encompassed just in that one thing. Um, so we took that paperclip challenge and um, we've made that a, a personal project that young heroes on campus can um, can take on and we've made it something that the young men um, for Apogee can take on and we've done a couple of different variations of it so you know we've done so like Apogee they'll have like 30 day challenge where they take start with a paperclip can't go to mom dad grandma and like let's see what you can do get out in your neighborhood go out in the go out in public go do whatever you can do jump on Craigslist you know jump on e-bike I don't care whatever like figure this out we had a young man um, who's gone all the way up to his first truck in Apogee, which is freaking sweet. He's a 16 year old young man, first truck he ever had, didn't pay a dime for it. He used, started with a paperclip and made a series of trades. And I think within like 11 or 12 trades, he had gotten himself up to a truck. Now it wasn't a brand new 12. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't a brand new truck. It wasn't a, you know, I mean, it was, it was an older truck and, but it was running. It was a functional truck and it was his very first vehicle as a 16 year old. My very first vehicle as a 16 year old was also a beat up old truck. Um, and I love that thing to death, man. And I, it's, you know, it's great. Um, and so he had a, his first fully functioning vehicle, man, he got from the paperclip. So, you know, we've had individuals like that. I've taken um, groups where I'm like, okay, everybody jump in, you know, uh, we'll have a bunch of adults that I'll have them show up. We'll throw the young heroes in a car and we head out to uh, the mall. We've gone to a shopping mall and I'm like, okay, here's what's happening. Paperclip, 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 paperclip. You have three hours, come back with the coolest stuff that you can, you know, I give them all the parameters, go. They came back with, um, within three hours, I had people come back with bags of clothing. I had uh, somebody come back with a um, with neon, like a full-on function, like a neon sign that they could hang up in their garage. I had somebody come back with a fully functioning cell phone, a cell, they had an iPhone, dude, in no. three hours, small, an iPhone. Um, and they had done all kinds of things to get it, right? Somebody, they had, you know, they had gone into the stores, they were talking to passersby, they were going outside and waving down cars. They'd gotten so creative with how they were presenting this, to a bunch of people and and you know it was amazing to watch how they did it one one lady made uh one of our heroes sing she's like sing me a song and i'll give you whatever this was i don't remember what it was but it was a huge jump from what he was offering to what she was willing to give and he's like oh all right cool what do you want to hear and she gave him a song and he like belted it out there in the mall and she's like cool here you go you know and so like it's just so cool because it makes them think it makes them get innovative it talks you know speaks to their ability to to, to learn to sell, to learn to communicate, to learn to think ahead and go, how can I provide value to somebody else? Understanding that some people are going to value certain things and some people are going to value others. They're solving these problems. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been rad, man, to watch. Gary uh, Vaynerchuk sent our very first group of high schoolers, the very first campus I had, he sent them all the Gary V oh threes or whatever that, sh that first shoe was that, you know, he had signed, uh, on there or whatever so he sent 30 pairs to the campus and was like here you go 30 day flip challenge see what you can do and so some of them were like i'm just keeping the shoes man these are from gary b and then uh, but some of them went off and and traded a bunch of things and you know and, and tried to work their way up that way too so a lot of cool lessons that we learned there that's epic and negotiation and just being okay with walking up and striking up a conversation with people like those are just super small things that are so valuable and not being, not being afraid of hearing the word no and, and, and working throughout all that, like all that in such a, 
teeny little challenge. And I did look it up. The guy's name was Kyle McDonald. Uh, what okay. if you could trade a paperclip for a house? So that's the yes. YouTube video on that. So absolutely love that. Man, this has been such a blast of a conversation. As I said, we could easily go for three hours. Um, I guess I'll ask you a question that I don't normally ask people, but like you have so much content, like anything that I should have asked you that you would have been really excited to talk about under the umbrella of everything um, that we talked about or outside of this, or did we, did we, I live, no, man, I, I just, you know, my entire mission is around building, you know, strong young people. So we do it in a number of fashions, whether that's building schools, whether that's building the mentorship program, whether that's the programs for parents programs for, you know, people wanting to homeschool, whatever that is, we just try to come at it from all angles, man. And it's just, I lead a charmed life where I get to spend my day talking to amazing people like yourself and, and talking to amazing young heroes and um, just building out things to, you know, that, continue to uh help these other young heroes that helps me even more and they get i get to tell their stories now and i get to like life is good man so it's a, it's a pleasure to even just get to chat around all that i love it i love it and i'm we've had several conversations now but like every single time we talk i'm like man like how can how can i contribute what can i do so like let, well, let's continue that conversation at maybe after we hit uh, the, the record ending here, but, um, I guess the last question that I asked, uh, almost a lot of guests when I get the chance is what, what does happiness mean to you today, Matt? Um, it, it's really, it's the peace of mind that, that I have, right. And that peace of mind comes from, um, knowing that I don't owe anybody, uh, anything, knowing that I don't, um, have to guard any kind of, um, lies or integrity issues or like there's none of that there so I literally just get to get up every day and go okay what what is the purpose I want to serve today I've got my wife and my kids here that I get to pour into and make sure they're good first and foremost and everything else is house money man so you know happiness really is that peace of mind where I don't have anything um, eating at me and I can just spend all day doing what I want and and focus on the purpose that I want to tackle love that beautiful beautiful the final final question is where can people find out about all the incredible stuff you're up to i know people can go to actinplacer.com and see your three schools that you run but maybe if somebody's interested in sending their school their kid to an actin or if they maybe yeah. want to start an actin school i know that's a thing send send them yeah. anywhere and everywhere where they where they can find out more about this stuff for sure man if you go to actinacademy.org so a c t o n academy.org you can see you know, really the global network. And I get to spend a lot of my days now too, helping parents all over the world that are like, Hey, I want to start something. I want to do it for my kids and my community. Um, and I get to help parents do that too. So go to actinacademy.org and check it out. Um, and there's a start your, start your own right there that you can dive into. Or if you want to reach out to me, I'm glad to walk you through that process and talk to you about what that looks like. Um, you can reach me, you know, Matt at Apogee strong, A P O G E E strong.com. Check out what we're doing at Apogee strong.com is the mentorship. And that's where all the other, um, kind of mini tribes we're building is, it goes under that. And again, that was my email and, and I'm probably most active on Instagram out of any other social media, although I'm banned on Instagram quite a bit, but that's just at my name, uh, just Matt Bodro. Okay. And that's B-E-A-U-D-R-E-A-U. -E is, is that French? Sure. Uh, it is sounds, sounds yeah. very 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 it's french so, so french dude. yeah i'm more italian than french but it's so french yeah love it sure. love it awesome yeah. man well this has been so much fun i'm just gonna have a really quick conversation with you listening today and i just want to say man you could be anywhere else on the planet you could be listening to any other podcast but you clicked on this episode with matt bordreau and you hanging out until the very end so that means that you are somebody that is in, interested in education and changing the world and investing in young heroes and making an impact 
impact. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. And I just want to say, if this if this is your very first episode, welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. You know how much I appreciate you and love you for coming back week after week. And the one favor I have to ask is if you have heard something today that made you laugh, maybe it was how Matt's, Matt's first text he ever sent to his wife, or maybe it was hearing the story about the paper clips, or maybe it was hearing about Matt taking a sixth grade math test. Like all these things are awesome, incredible stories that we heard today. And you can absolutely change someone's life by sharing this episode with someone. There, there is somebody out there right now that doesn't even know that there is an alternative out there that, like, that Matt is providing. So if you know a parent or if you are a parent, I would just encourage you to, to spread this and share this um, because it can absolutely change someone's life. But whether you choose to do that or not, I appreciate you so much for being here. And Matt, thank you so much for being here, man. Any final things you want to say before we head off? No, I just want to thank you, man. Thank you for being somebody that... that people of every age should be listening to and paying attention to and, and uh, you know, leading the way that you do. I'm very, very grateful to have you uh, in my life as not just a peer, but as a friend and somebody that I care about very much. So thank you. Appreciate you, Matt. I love you, man. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.